you know, you start with some seeds, you hand your business cards out to people, uh, talk to some folks and, you know, you're, you're part of their life suddenly, but you might not start working for them until three or four years down the road. Hey there, everybody. Matt here. Hope you're all having a great day so far. I'm really excited about the conversation I recently had with composer and sound designer Emmanuel Lagumbai. We run in a lot of the same circles online, and I'm a big fan of his stuff, and he really just brought a ton of value in this talk. He likens the working composer to a farmer, which is probably the most helpful metaphor I've ever heard on the topic. He'll unpack that in a minute. He talked through a massive game project he just wrapped up and his composition workflow for that, as well as some practical nitty gritty wisdom for succeeding in the honestly very saturated market of video game composing. Of all my podcast episodes, I genuinely think that this one is the most helpful for entry level composers looking to move into the space. So if that's you, don't go away and enjoy this conversation with Emmanuel Lagumbai. So if you could just uh, explain to me from the beginning, uh, what made you want to devote so much of your life to making video game music? Because obviously, I know you've you have a, a formal education in music, lots of different ways and directions you can take that. Um, so I'm curious, what is it about video game music that made you want to kind of go into this field? Uh, I think it's just because I spent so much time around it, um, having played games all my life and starting. Uh, well, I think I, I know like the turning point on when I was like, oh, I really want to do this. Um, well, that was in college when I took courses in like computer science and the like. I, I wanted to work in games. I wanted to do all that stuff. And then I took a, a course on calculus. Um, and totally, I think that was like my lowest grade ever. It was like a D minus or something and barely, barely even scraping past the F. And I was like, um, yeah, I don't think I want to do computer science, but I was taking music courses. So I'm just going to stick in games and then continue to do, uh, music at the same time, um, for games. But what kind of inspired that? It was just a lifelong, you know, experience of playing video games, you know, always experiencing and hearing other people's works. Uh, primarily things like RPG music, mm. um, you know, Guild Wars. I grew up with Guild Wars, definitely. Like, that was one of my first MMO experiences. Actually, probably my first MMO experience. Mm. And just hearing all those tracks, being inspired by that kind of stuff, you know, being around that, uh, the sights and sounds of games all my life. <laughs> so Guild Wars, would that would you say that's probably the uh, one of the first games that really made an emotional impact on you? as far as the music goes, or did you have any other sort of seminal moments as a kid where the composers or the music kind of just really made an impact on you? I think Guild Wars is probably the first one I really just started to pay attention to the most. Because, I mean, I, I had listened to, you know, everyone knows all the soundtracks of the classics, like Mario and Tetris um, and the like. But I think Guild Wars is probably the first one where I was, like, really paying attention to the music in the game and really experiencing that along with, uh, you know, playing... Uh, alongside all these other people uh but what what kind of emotion are we talking here like are we talking like um yeah what kind of emotion are we talking here well, that's a great question i actually hadn't even thought of it i guess it can be really any emotion uh if you have multiple emotions that uh i would love to hear about like you know the different emotions well i mean like i guess like rage like rage quitting a really hard game you know that could that could technically be an emotion so 
I'm, I'm curious. So, I'm curious. You know, any any emotional impact really? The music has had on me. Okay. Um, well, for Guild Wars, like it was probably one of my first, like you know, again investments into the music of, of game audio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it didn't have like you know this really uh, relatable feel to me. Like it was very, it was very good music. I enjoyed being immersed in that world. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think when I started to really feel like an impact was not until uh, I was a little bit older, and probably World of Warcraft and Guild Wars Two. Mm-hmm started to have yeah. like that emotional connection where you're they're telling the storyline uh that's more um relatable i guess in a sense yeah so to pick a track i'll, I'll just i'll stick with guild wars because it's you know jeremy soul same composer but guild wars 2 fear not this night um it's probably one of my most like emotionally connected pieces just because it, it, it talks a lot about like hey everything's gonna be fine it's gonna be you know don't worry about it you know fear not this night you will not go astray uh, you know, no matter how bad it gets, you're still going to make it out of there. And like that, that really hit hard, uh, probably going out of college. I mean, even, even though I was listening to that in college, like going out of college, that really hit hard. Cause there's a lot of stuff that was going on, uh, during that, um, relative to my life. So being emotionally connected to that on top of other tracks, you know, like still, uh, invincible from world of Warcraft is probably one of my, my favorites of all time. Hmm. Uh, just because it, it again has that feel and connection to a character that's um something you know somewhat relatable to what i can see where this there's a guy that kind of arthas loses himself a little bit um and they they sing the song about maybe his horse or maybe about him <laughs> so it's one of those things where he he ends up losing his horse um because he pushes it too far and it's kind of the same thing kind of a what do you call it uh, a mirror to himself where he pushes himself too far and kind of loses them. So they're, they're paying homage to this King in that song. And that it, it just had that emotional connection of like uh, the storyline combined with, you know, amazing chord progressions and like great lyrics and just a, a lot of different feelings that kind of go all into one thing. Man, that's really interesting because it's it's rare that I hear about game music making an impact on someone with lyrics, you know, but there it is it is incredible when I see game music that features lyrics if it's done well, you know, and just yes. how powerful that can be cuz it's rare, right? You know, you don't you don't often see it, but um there was that game and and it's the title and the composer are escaping me, so I'm totally useless right now, but it's the game where it's kind of <laughs> like you're playing soccer. It's an indie game. And it was made by uh, the guy. It's like a folk song, and they sing. It's like a Shrine Pyre. something. Yes. Is it Pyre? Thank you okay. very much. Yes. Yeah, Pyre. Darren Corb. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and that is incredible. And I love the way they do that. The way that it's like uh, didactic music from the game. That's like a folk song. Um, you know, telling the story of the of the Absolutely. characters and stuff. And that's it's that's it's really so bad. Cool. I I haven't played like. Uh, the games that Darren works on, let's uh, Bastion, Transistor, and that uh, Pyre, like they all have that great lyrical feel to it. Like they they all have because um, he he's got great singers and great talent and great songwriting abilities. So it's just like everything you know goes super well together. But I honestly haven't played. I think I've only played a little bit of Bastion. I haven't played the other two, but I, I've listened to the soundtracks and I've enjoyed the soundtracks uh, immensely because they're just so like you're saying, you know, impactful. So I take it that a lot of these, uh, you know, when you say Guild Wars and World of Warcraft, you, you kind of have a have a favor toward epic fantasy, maybe orchestral style 
music. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just like I've always been immersed in the band world and the orchestra world. Like I played uh, trumpet and French horn for my school year. So I've always been like immersed in the orchestral classical sense of things all my life, pretty much. Like my brother-in-law would always have me listen to, you know, John Williams and Hans Zimmer back in the day and uh, Claus Badley and what's his name? Basil Poldoris. So like all the, the film composers. That's really cool. You know, orchestral music is one of those things that is not uh, really, I'm not quite familiar with it and I've been fascinated by it ever since starting this podcast and talking to like Gordy Hab, who did the Battlefront soundtrack and mm-hmm. um, Gary Scheinman who did, um, you know, who's done so much stuff. He's been composing longer right. than I've been alive, you know, handwriting scores. <laughs> and I'm just so foreign to that world, but I find it so interesting. So I love talking with guys like you who, who kind of grew up in that. Um, so I'm curious, kind of transitioning over to your personal composition process. When you sit down to write a tune, um, like I know you just finished up a pretty big project, which I, I absolutely want to hear about. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, let's go ahead and we can just talk right about that. So um, Ventureverse, that's the project you've been finished that you've yes. uh, finished up, or at least I saw the trailer got released. So when you're sitting down to uh, write a song for that, um, can you walk me through your workflow? Where do you start? Where do you get ideas? You know, how much uh, comes from the reference songs from the client, and you know, kind of from your own brain? Maybe just tell a story sure, sure. of how you, of your workflow on that project. Uh, and that project, I, I was very lucky. Uh, Matt Capner is the uh, lead designer and basically the one man army for this entire project. Um, and usually. It depends on the track in particular. Like if I'm doing a main theme track, I will usually be given some kind of reference as to what it should kind of feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, there was a lot of like Legend of Zelda um, influencing the, the the sound of everything. But he's given me a lot of free reign, honestly. It, it's very, very, uh, it's nice to have that kind of trust with a client where mm-hmm. you can just, you know, he'll give you a reference or maybe he won't at all and just say, do your thing. And you can send him something and, you know, get the feedback from there and, I've been very lucky to be able to do that. Um, so for, I think the main theme, we'll start with that because that's that was probably the hardest one that I had to, to work with. Um, I messed around on keyboard a lot. Like I would just take a, a couple of instruments. I knew that I wanted to write for a certain player for this particular one, Damien Wynn. Um, he's a, a, an oboe player that played in the Summoner's Orchestra with me when I made this uh, live ensemble. And I, I knew that I wanted to have him kind of be featured for this. So I, I took an mm-hmm. oboe library um, in my DAW and I just started messing around. And I was like trying to figure out what, you know, what typical feelings and typical uh, leaps and what do you call it? Um, oh my God, what is the word? I'm blanking out on that stuff now. What is music theory? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> the typical intervals that uh, you, you would want to have sure. to, to kind of make a melody. So I was just messing around doodling a little bit. Other times, now did um, were you uh, were you aware when you started composing? Were you aware of kind of the oboes, timbral qualities? Because I know in orchestral music, there's a that's that's a huge uh, uh, area of expertise that you kind of grow in is understanding. Okay, the oboe sounds this way when it's in this register, and it sounds this way in this register. And don't don't write this note on a page because the player will kill you because it's yeah, super hard yeah, to yeah. get there. You know, that sort of thing. So how much of that did you have to take in consideration when you were writing for the oboe? Oh, all, all of it. Um, you know, I, I, again, came from a, a band background, so I had that experience beforehand. But I had never played oboe. I never looked at oboe music. 
Um, so it was very much just trial and error, studying and asking questions. You know, I, I, the having a relationship with the um, instrumentalists you have on your tracks is definitely important. So you, you should be feeling comfortable to ask them, hey, is this doable? Like, is this something you can do? I, I don't like to just hand something to somebody and sure. you know expect it to be amazing if they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to talk with them, say, is this possible? I mean, I've, I've done that through college and stuff when I had um, was written, writing stuff. My girlfriend's a piano player. And so I, I would write, you know, things for the choir there and I'd send it to, to her first and be like, hey, is this, can you play this on piano? Can you accompany this? And usually I get mm-hmm. glaring looks of like, what the hell are you doing? Um, yeah. But she makes it work. You know, she like, it's the same thing with some of the players where uh, in this case, I was asking him like, hey, is this in the good range for you? Uh, did these notes work? And, you know, some people will tell me this key is better just because I can avoid this note a little bit more than others. Um, mm. And that kind of happened with with the oboe. It was like this this note's not our best note. Um, it was like a B flat, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm. Uh, it's not the best note in this register, but I can make it work. And so I said, well, thankfully it's a crescendo at this point, so it could sound a little bit dirty. It just needs to. It's going to get um, kind of pushed uh, around while like a cymbal roll is happening. So it's just kind of knowing the instrument plus communicating with the person you're working with. Yeah, that's you know, I mean that's really wise because when I think about com- composing orchestral music, I think about having a finished piece, presenting it to players, and them basically throwing tomatoes at me and making a fool out yeah. of myself. But <laughs> I, you don't even think about well, hey, just why don't you just be friends with them and shoot them music back and forth before you you know going to go into a recording session, you know, basically say, mm-hmm. hey, is this play? And like for some reason that didn't even cross my mind. So I think that's a huge takeaway you know, for composers yeah. that do want to add live instruments is just really open up those lines of communication, really be friendly and kind and be as communicative as possible with, you know, don't just present a finished product and say, okay, please send me the recording when you're done, you know, say, Hey, right. how does this sound in this register? So I think that's, I think that's really wise, man. So, okay. So you're messing around with your oboe patch and you've kind of got a cool melody lined up. How then do you proceed with, you know, fleshing it out with other instrumentation? Um, a lot of just trial and error at that point. Cause like, uh, orchestration is in a sense is what, what happens after that. It, it's all, um, for those that don't really know orchestration, what orchestration is, it's basically taking a couple lines of music and feeding it to an entire orchestra to kind of, you know, fill in the sounds and the, the like, uh, so I could like, let's say have this, just this melody line and one bass line, and that's all I have. But now I've got, you know, 60 instruments that I could work with or, you know, sure. Uh, 15, 20 instruments I could work with and making it work around that and adding chords and adding a little bit more structure to it. Um, so I, I usually start with like a couple of uh, chords. So once I have my melody, I try to figure out what chords work with it or vice versa. Maybe I have my chords first and then I, I like to work around the melody uh, after. Um, and I, I pick instruments that I think would, would fit that timbre. So in this case, the, the main theme has got to be like very victorious, very adventurous. Um, so full orchestras, you know, the right palette in the sense. So I, I think I took my strings next and I, I gave it a very like um, padded feeling. So I, I had the strings play like a lot of long notes to kind of emphasize things and maybe some trills here and there from like other wind instruments. Uh, brasses, brass instruments are very, you know, powerful and attacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those ones are kind of backing up the the oboe sound. But when for, for this particular uh, project for Ventureverse, the oboe took the, the lead. So everything was totally just secondary to the oboe uh very much just pads or 
um, you know, a little bit of percussion. I think the percussion is kind of the next part of the feature for the the main theme, which um, just because I, I love having good rhythm, good uh, different rhythm. And I will say that this took a lot of iteration because uh, John Metz, who is also another composer, excellent composer, is uh, one of my go-tos for, you know, asking for feedback. <laughs> just like, hey, what does this sound like? And his number one response for almost a lot of my older projects was the percussion is too too similar like it's just repeating like you can do way more with it so i, I tried mm. to take a a very big percussion take on this one and he he finally uh approved it at the end is like yeah finally i think this, this is the right thing and that felt very good to, to finally get his approval on a percussion part that's um, really cool that you're also going to other composers uh for feedback when you're when you're orchestrating you know it does seem less overwhelming right when you start from you know you have your your melody and your bass line or maybe your harmony in mind do you go uh you know down in score order and say like okay how do i want to orchestrate the winds here or is it very much just like okay i hear brass chords here i like do you kind of hear it in your head and move to the instrument that you hear in your head how do you how do you in other words you have your 60 instruments like you mentioned which one do you choose Mm -hmm. first oh that 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 totally changes from um piece to piece um but i do have some favorites like i I do like to work with brass because i was a brass player so if Mm. the piece calls for brass i usually will try to start with them and figure that out if that's not working out i will move to uh strings because i usually like to add an ostinato like a repeating rhythmic pattern uh Mm -hmm. that kind of pulsates underneath so i would go to them instead um and do the the ostinato with the strings then maybe the brass doubles it or uh does something different on top so it, it varies I think the key, is, like you said, is just a lot of trial and error, right? Honestly, yeah. That, that's there's not really. I mean, there are like obviously uh, t- tried and true uh, tests that you could use and methods that people have done in the past. But when when you're doing something, I think in this kind of creative caliber, it's like one day it'll work, and then the next day you find something better, <laughs> and then you you completely scrap that and you change what you did yeah. the first day into the new thing. So it it totally depends. Um, I'm curious if you could just run me through, you know, what, what are some libraries that you really like, Mm -hmm. you know, what DAW do you prefer for composition and also, um, resources, like it could be books, it could be, uh, Facebook groups, like all the groups that, you know, I know we run in very similar groups, um, business skills for composers, what have you, what are just some, uh, besides, you know, uh, your DAW, maybe books, maybe libraries, Facebook groups, what are some key resources uh, that you turn to over and over throughout the composing process. Okay, so in terms of um, hardware or software, uh, we'll start with that. I, I've been using Cubase 6.5 for like the last five, six years now, I think. Um, that's just been what I've got. And, you know, like I can't really afford to upgrade at this point yet. Uh, well, I'll get there eventually and get to whatever it is now. It's like nine or 10. Um, but I prefer that for composition just because I've been using that for you know five or six years now. Um, before then, I, I used to compose in Finale, um, which I actually might try doing again, where I, I start with the score and then put that into a DAW and then yeah. um, make the mock-up from there, which mm-hmm. I, I feel I feel more comfortable seeing notes and understanding the notes than I do piano roll, if that makes sense, just because I you know sure. play music all my life. No, it um, makes total that sense. Said, yeah, yeah. That said, the the piano roll works out okay. Um, in terms of libraries, 
I use Cinebrass, uh, Cinematic Strings. Those are like my go-tos. As much as I bash on East-West Quantum Leap for their long load times, they they have great libraries. I can't really deny that. Um, They have great drum libraries, which I primarily use. I use them for woodwinds as well. Um, So like Storm Drum, Raw, uh, their choirs I've been using. And they're like, I think I only have their gold version of their orchestra, symphonic orchestra stuff. And that that's worked out all this time. Um, I also have like things like Omnisphere, which I use for like more uh, electric sounding things or some effects that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that sums up a lot of the tools I have in terms of like mixing. There's so many different plugins you have. There's, oh, of course. Uh, it's just a matter of using which ones you you know are comfortable with using at that point. Sure. Like, any of them really work. Uh, it's yeah. just understanding how to get the best out of those those particular things and this is the same for the the sample libraries like there's a billion that are going to be out there and there's a billion more that i still want to get at some point in my lifetime but you know use what you have is my suggestion and absolutely figure out how to make that work for you if it's not like like if you 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 can't think about it necessarily based on the quality of your your libraries you can think about it based on the composition itself Uh, because if you have a good composition you can make that sound awesome for whatever setting it is. Uh, that That's said, so true. You know, libraries do help a little bit, uh, but it is an investment. So it's, it's if you're not there yet, which I, I don't consider myself there yet either, um, work with what you've got, figure out how to make that work. And then eventually, you know, you might upgrade, but you'll also find yourself using the old stuff too. Like I guarantee that. I was going to say, I, I, just to comment, I think that's been a very... Uh, common thread throughout all my interviews is, you know, I've interviewed, um, I interviewed the Mercado bros. Um, and Carl said, went so far as to say gear does not matter at all. He was very, you know, he was very adamant about that. And I don't know if (laughs) I would go that far, but I do agree the more and more I talk to composers that limitations and restraints are are not a, like a stumbling block for composers. If anything, they're a, a catalyst for creativity because you're forced to think inside of what you have. Um, yeah. And I think um, I heard it said it's kind of like an RPG or like Pokemon, where like if you're not high enough a level, your Pokemon's not going to listen to you because you're not ready. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's sort of a. I've heard it said, and it's very apt uh, metaphor. Like if you're a composer for games, you need to like work your way up to those massive libraries and. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the insanely expensive gear, because I'll watch YouTube videos of pro composers and they have this room full of synthesizers, you know, and yeah. I'll get all, you know, FOMO and like, man, what am I doing? You know, but then I'm like, they worked <laughs> hard and bought the one at a time, one at a time. They earned that over time. And I think mm-hmm. that if we're faithful to the craft, you know, that, you know, we can earn it over time. It's just it's a matter of being patient. So just a quick affirmation of what you said. You know, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't, you're always going to want to splurge on stuff for, you know, that newest library or that newest oh, sure. job. But like I said, I've been using Cubase 6.5 for the last five or six years, and I just got Reaper. I haven't used it for composition very much. Oh, I, did, I love Reaper. You know, try a couple things. Yeah, it's an excellent DAW. And how much is it for, like, the, the small 60 business? bucks. It is yeah, cheap. It's, I, think, I think I paid 75 if I remember correctly. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, it's, like it, yeah, but it's less than a hundred dollars. Like it's still yeah, that's insane. It, it does everything you needed to do, and I, I, I've definitely you know paid it off with just a couple of sound design projects I've done for it. I love it for sound design. It's excellent because every channel is an aux uh, port. Basically, you can just stick as many different little things on it. It's it's just so easy to 
to get things going on it. So I, uh, as you know, I'm part of Business Skills for Composers, uh, excellent resource. They've got a lot of great people on there that are very informative. And it's very open. Like if if you have any question, is generally going to be answered. As mm-hmm. you know, as dumb as you may think it is, it's not a dumb question because there's so many uh, variables to what we do. Sure. Uh, on top of that, there's the Game Audio Denizens. Uh, which is probably another place I go to for like, I, I asked one of my first questions there for sound design asking about like, Hey, how do I even price myself as a sound designer for games? Yeah. Um, and then I got, you know, great feedback there. I'm also part of the game audio network guild or gang. Oh, nice. Uh, very, very great resource. Cause there's a lot of people there. Um, they're starting to revamp a lot of stuff to kind of get things moving a little bit more. So there's a lot of things like, um, what do you call it? articles or videos and tutorials um just a bunch of like uh, again and once since it is a a guild in a sense it's a lot of people that you can talk to uh, and make friends with and ask them questions which i think is basically where i got a lot of my information from uh going to conferences and meeting friends those are probably like some of your number one resources that you can ask like just get some feedback from you know people you trust um for the longest time, I, I was getting feedback from friends that don't necessarily know the craft, but they know me and they know music a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a lot of just general generalizations. So it's like, oh, this sounds good. Or this sounds great. Or maybe this is a little loud. Um, mm-hmm. But like that, that's good feedback when, you know, you're starting out. But you want to find stuff where you can get like friends that are in the industry that you can trust. Uh, friends that understand the the workflow of things, just talking to them and being like, hey, what does this sound like? And you'll get stuff like, hey, you need to EQ the, this frequency range a little bit for this instrument. Or, um, you know, maybe the, the, the chord progression you have there could be a little bit different. Instead of going to this chord, go to this chord. You know, you get very more detailed stuff rather than, oh, that sounds good or that sounds all right. Like that that that's good stuff to have for the beginning. But if you want to grow, you definitely need a lot more um, detailed information. So what you're saying is it's important as you're networking, not just to think networking with devs for gigs, but also networking with other composers so that you can have that community, but also that feedback loop of where you know you're actually getting quality feedback from other people who know the craft. Absolutely. I think it's a two for one, to be honest, um, because most of my gigs, I think almost all of my gigs, maybe bar one or two of them that I've gotten in the last two or three years have been through referrals from other composers. Uh, or other awesome. audio designers. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it is a community in the end. It, it's very much a community. And when, when you talk to them, you know, you, if, if you're not approaching them, like you're somebody just hunting for a gig, but you actually want to talk to them and be friends because that's actually a good thing to have. Sure. Uh, it changes the perspective on everybody. Like I, I don't like, I didn't intend to talk to you a long time ago, expecting to get interviewed for a podcast. You know, we talked sure, about, yeah. I think the, the reason I contacted you is because I wanted to do a, uh, a remix of Sebastian when you oh, did his yes. interview. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's I how I talked that. to you. Know, that's how I got introduced to you. Metadata, exactly. So like, <laughs> I, I never intended to you know, get a job for you or talk about something on a podcast, and here we are now. <laughs> right, absolutely. I think, man, to a certain extent, you just, you have to like people. Like, because yeah. the thing is, is unfortunately as, not, un, not, not unfortunately, but maybe unfortunately for introverts or we can't just like go into a cave with our MIDI keyboard and our DAW and like make a living. Like we have to go out into the world and see people 
And I think it's an advantage of people like you and myself where I genuinely love making friends. Like I just Mm -hmm. love talking to people, making new friends. And I think if you have that in this space, you'll go far. Yeah, I, I, I'll second and echo that. Uh, that said, I have had some experience just cold emailing developers, um, but that changes nothing. You know, you're still, even though you're not face to face or you're not talking to them uh, verbally, you are still in contact with them and you're trying to meet them and you know network with them. But I sure. think the approach is should still be very much, you know, not not necessarily business first, but just interest first. Um, because yeah. like no one really likes I that like person that. that walks up to you and is like, Hey, here's my business card and oh, yeah. has zero other words for you. It's just, you know, we've all been like, to those networking events oh, and things like all the that. Time. I was that person. Like I, I can't, I can't say I wasn't that person when I first started out because that's, that's very much how, you know, you think when, when you're not sure about the uh, customs or the, the, the culture of how that kind of works, you know, you, you think my first thing is I need to leave with a job and that's, you know, that's your goal and your mission. So you're just throwing out business cards, like they're dollar bills everywhere. Like everyone's trying to pick them up. Like that's just, it's not a, a very good way to do things because you want to build and actually nurture and cultivate great relationships, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, this is kind of off the cuff, but I've, do, I've been doing some research and just sort of developing this gut feeling that composers are, for lack of a better phrase, kind of becoming like, the used car salesman of the game world Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's almost as if there are so many of us that it's just lost. We're sometimes we can just get lost in a sea of, you know, composer, you know, uh, uh, trying to, to hunt for the same client or fight for the same client or clients getting bombarded with 20 emails a day saying, Hey, I'm a composer. You know, I've just, I've seen forum posts. I've seen, um, Facebook groups where these devs will just say like, Oh yeah, by far the most emails I get looking for work are from composers. So it's like, how do we overcome that? Can we overcome that? You know what? I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, I think it is definitely a numbers game. Because there are, there's less need for composers than there are, like let's say artists or programmers. Um, and mm-hmm. if there are, if you have multiple artists, you know you can have multiple artists on a game, but it's very rare to have multiple composers. Sure. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So number wise, you know you're going to have eight people, or not even eight. I'm going to say eighty plus people going for one gig, um, whereas other places, you know, they're going to be hiring. Um, four or five of the same gig so that, you know, there's a, a better, um, what do you call it? Ratio, if that makes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, ratio is probably the, the word I would use there, like a better ratio of people that are applying for it than people that are needed. Um, to overcome that, it's it's tough because it's one of those things where it's like you have to do that. Everybody's got to do it. Um, but at the same time, I do think the, the attitude should, again, be to cultivate a relationship first and let the work come secondary. Um, I, whenever I've cold emailed people, I usually don't even mention my music anymore, like, or my audio period. Um, I, I usually just express interest in the product because that's, if, if I want to work on something, it's because I'm interested in what they're doing. Um, not necessarily just because I want their money because <laughs> like, that's, that's not a good, healthy way to, to look into things. Sure. Um, so I, I start, I don't even mention my, you know, this is what I do. I say, hey, this is a great game. Like, keep that up. Uh, it seems awesome. 
and I just, so cool. you know, we'll keep, keep going with that and see like where that goes and maybe shoot them a follow-up message, uh, you know, a month or two later, if they, um, respond like, Hey, thanks. That's great. You know, just to see where they're at, like, see what the update is. And eventually if, if the timing is right and if the relationship is right, I will mention, yeah, I, I also do this. Like if you're interested in that, I, you know, let me know, but chances are they, they might actually already have a composer. Um, or they're an audio designer. And if they do, then, well, at least they have another name in the in the bank in case they wanted to go back to somebody, which that has happened in the past, where somebody said that I've got somebody for this, but I like your stuff. Maybe we'll work together later. And they, sure enough, you know, half a year or so later, message me saying, hey, I've got this project. Do you want to take it on? Um, you know, we could use this kind of stuff. That That's really, really good advice. Sort of piggybacking on that, you know, where um, I've heard really mixed opinions on this, and I'm sure it's it's different for every composer who's, who's experienced this, but some composers are of the opinion that you should, uh, you know, have a demo reel, you know, ready at all times mm-hmm. that you can send. Where other composers I've talked to, and, and this is a perfectly valid opinion, say, no, don't do a demo reel. Um, don't send them a demo reel. Send them a song that you think would work with their game. You know, a very specific sort of niche yeah. for their game and then others yet have said no have a demo reel that is set to uh, set to picture like rescoring other people's games you know rescoring other games mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of back and forth on that i'm curious if you in your experience have found any of those methods to be uh more effective than than the others all of them have worked for me is what i will say okay um, I, I have I have a demo reel. Like I just have a SoundCloud page with my top tracks that I think you know are representable of my abilities, and I stick that on my website. Um, I don't expect people to actually sit and listen to it. To be honest, like I'm not anticipating mm-hmm. people are going to like really hire me off of this demo reel uh, because I'm usually networking with particular games. So I, I will, in general, uh, send a track that's more specific to a title. Um, because like, let's say if somebody's doing hello kitty three or whatever, I'm not going to give them my epic death metal track. Cause it just doesn't sure. make sense unless for some yeah. reason they're going to do that. Um, and like, let's say that's my number one, the song, the first song on my profile, uh, on my right. SoundCloud. Like if I'm applying for this kid's game, I don't want them to hear mm. me doing, you know, burlesque music, if that makes sense. Yes. So that's the I'll first thing they're going to hear and they could, right. They're away. like, Ooh, right. Uh, they're like, yeah, oh, this, that doesn't really make any point. sense. So I, I will try to cater it towards whatever my clientele is. Uh, if I'm looking for a specific, if they're looking for specific tracks or the history of their games is very much along a certain genre, then I'll send them those kind of tracks. Uh, but I'll also, you know, track, throw in another one or two. That said, I have had work, you know, from just having a SoundCloud, basically. It's like somebody says, hey, this is great music. I like. I saw your, um, your, I listened to your stuff on your portfolio. Um, do you want to work with me? Do you want to do this? That kind of stuff. Um, and as far as picture to uh, scoring to somebody else's work, I haven't done that, but I have sound design to other people's work. Mm. And that has actually gotten me most of my work in the last year or so, uh, where awesome. I did like a redo of the audio for Elder Scrolls Online, uh, oh, one nice. of their first trailers. Um, their cinematic, sorry, their first cinematic. I redid the, the sound design for some of their scenes. And I said that, like for Ventureverse, I sent that exact scene to the developer. I said, hey, just so you know, I'm starting to do sound design. Um, let me know if you know if you or anyone else you know might need something on top of uh, music or whatever. Um, and this is for Ventureverse. So I already had a working relationship with the guy. 
um, and the like. And he said, I'm actually playing Elder Scrolls Online right now, and I, I like your uh, sound design for it better than the original. So do that you want to do so sound cool. design for Ventureverse? So it was one that of those things so where cool. it's like, yeah, it, it can work. It depends. Um, I, I don't see why not. Uh, uh, the only thing that would constrain that is time. Like, if you don't have time to sure. do that, stick to what you you think will work best. Um, but again, all of them have actually worked for me. That's really good to know. I'm curious, kind of touching back on the uh, on the cold email thing, which is a, just a cool uh, topic I, I enjoy talking about mm-hmm. with people. Um, how many would you say, if you were to maybe break it down, how many gigs do you think that you have uh, gotten through those relationships maybe that started with the cold email versus maybe referrals? I'm sure you've gotten a lot more from, from referrals. Um, yeah, obviously people um, trust the word of a, of a good friend, but I'm curious h- right. how you found those to be successful, uh, those cold emails. Um, it's very hard. I will say, uh, I, I did this a lot last year or maybe two years ago, more than I did have been doing recently. Um, I, I tried to send 10 emails a day basically, right. Mm, yeah. uh, to, to random developers, random, uh, you know, people, projects that I felt interested in. And back then it was even projects I didn't feel interested in. It was just, you know, I'm looking for work. It was desperate Anyone, to get some money yeah. in, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but my response rate, you know, is probably about five or six responses out of 10 emails a day. Like, let's say a week. Let's let's go okay. to 70 emails a week. I might get five or six responses total in the entire month. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And then a couple of those might be, uh, oh, we're interested. And then nothing else. And the rest mm. are usually like, no, we're, we're good. We already have something. Um, so it's very, very hit or miss. It's not, uh, it's not something you do expecting great success in. It's something you do just expecting to get the numbers down and eventually something will happen. Right. Um, there was somebody that I I had emailed, like, let's say the beginning of 2016 and I heard from them at the end of 2016 or maybe early 2017, uh, saying, Hey, I've got a project. Do you want to work on it? So it was like literally no response for all this time. And then suddenly, hey, I've got a project for you, like just randomly. So like it's hit or miss. Like you never really know. And other times, you know, there are people that are like, hey, I can't use you for this project, but maybe I'll use you for a future one. And sure enough, half a year later or so when they're working on their next uh, gig, that's something that does come along. Uh, just to go to go on the numbers, like I honestly maybe gotten maybe two or three gigs total from my cold emailing. But I've actually since stopped doing that uh in terms of just straight business uh, i'm starting to to take again that relationship building kind sure. of uh, position where i'm not necessarily asking them for work i'm just cold emailing them to ask about their game and to kind of get some insight on what they do yeah that's really cool man I, i'm curious i don't know if, if you told me and if you did forgive me how did you meet the uh, the ventureverse guys oh yes ventureverse so uh the main dev is in the uk but this was actually a project I got as a referral uh, from John Robert Metz, who couldn't take the project at the time. Uh, it just wasn't in his timeline to be able to, to make things work out. So he said, hey, you, you have any good fantasy music cues that you want to send my way just so I can send it to this guy and see if he's interested? Uh, and that's basically the start of that relationship where I sent him a couple of fantasy cues. It turned out to be something that the, uh, Matt uh, Kapner was interested in. And that's that was the the rest is history at that point. Everything just kind of continued yeah. from there. If you didn't have those cues, because that's like my that that sounds like my, a, a nightmare. 
like my worst nightmare. Like someone says, Hey, I have this gig for you quick, you know, send me this genre of music. And I'm like, I don't have any, you know, did you have those in the holster ready to go, you know, from a previous yes. project or just from your own personal, uh, composition work? Those are personal compositions. Like that's very, um, like before I even started professionally, I was just writing music. It was kind of a hobby. Um, just yeah. for fun. I didn't expect to actually wait get just paid for, for fun, this. writing music just for fun. What is I know, this who you does speak that? of? <laughs> who who am I? <laughs> right. But I, I was very lucky to have that. But that said, I have had projects where they're like, hey, I might have a gig for you. Do you have anything like this? And my answer is nope, but I will in however long I have to do this. Sure, so, sure. You know, yeah. you, like if you if you have an hour or two to do that, like you got to do it in an hour or two, like just yeah. to have the chance of making it work. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it's all right. I'm sure that now you, you have, know, if it doesn't, you have, you have a, a thing for your portfolio at that point that you could share exactly, later. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Malin, who, whom, whom you know as well, you know, he's fond of saying, don't mm-hmm. let any piece of music go to waste. You know, there's always yep. some purpose for every piece of music, you know, whether it's a library or uh, a portfolio or maybe another client down the road. Um, I'm curious, you know, with the cold emailing thing, I'm sure that you've run into some shysters because there are some sketchy devs out there. Uh, oh, yeah. know, I talked a little bit about this with Taylor, uh, uh, Ambrosio Wood, where she said, you know, there'd be people that say like, all right, we're going to do a competition and you're going to work for free and you're, you know, all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious if you've run into those and how, you know, uh, kind of to avoid bad fits. Um, well, in terms of the competition aspect, like I do understand that that's, that's rough, like that you don't really want to view it as a competition, but demoing isn't abnormal, um, mm-hmm. where you send in, you know, a track or they send you a test basically. And they're like, all right, let's see if you fit our, our vibe, right. Um, okay. Based on this exact test. So like, that's not too abnormal. Like, especially when you're working with, uh, or trying to apply for AAA companies per se, like they they sure, will listen yeah, to your portfolio sense. and then they'll send you uh, you know a screen cap of the game and say hey can you uh, score this or sound design this and see if that works out and then then that's technically a competition in a sense. Um, sure. That's that's all around. Like I see indies do that too, but to, you you kind of mm. to kind of see how things work is is definitely um, you want to check their uh, background in terms of like what projects they might have worked on before. Sure. Or even just see the project that's currently, you know, that they're they're currently working on. Like how how much has it developed? How how are they progressing with things? Is it one of those things where it's like I'm gonna work for you for two months and then six months later the game is no longer in development? And they're like you never really sure. know for sure, but you can kind of tell based on just the conversations you're having. Like even on the way they they email you back, if it's very, uh, like let, let's say I'm talking to somebody that's. Um, a dev in the US, like, you know, English speaking dev that works with this, but their email is just full of like errors and full of all these things, then you know that, okay, well, maybe um, they're not uh, organized in that sense. So I might have trouble mm, yeah. dealing with payments or contracts and the like. Uh, but again, you, you never really know because sometimes everything's going to be perfectly fine. Like, I've had a, a gig where English wasn't this person's best language. Um, mm. But I got paid on time. I got uh, the information I needed to get the gig done. So it's kind of hit or miss. It's really hard to tell. Um, but you will you will see some red flags every once in a while. We're like, uh, I don't know if I really want to work on this. 
because the way they're kind of treating me or the way they're they're viewing my contract or they're just so defensive about this and this. Mm, um, yeah, I've heard uh, you know a big uh, thread, a common thread I've heard in my interviews is like when there's endless haggling over price, you know, from the dev of just like mm-hmm. they're really just trying to talk you down, like almost kind of to the point of like en- endless haggling. That might mm. be, you know, it's tough, you know, because obviously maybe they're they're reasonable in their in their haggling. But when it gets to the point where you, you kind of have to make a judgment call and just say, OK, you know, I don't think that you value sort of, the you know, the value that I'm bringing yeah, mm. as much as you should. So that's, you know, it's a, it's a tough call. I imagine it's a tough call. A lot of it's got to do with probably, like you said, vetting them out and also just a, a um, just like a gut feeling uh, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, like. You never like when they're haggling prices, you know, you, you know what you want, like when you're going into it. Um, usually you should. You should try to at least know the general feel that you want. Like you should try to deny anything that's going to get you below uh, or an expectation, like a percentage of what you're getting, if that makes sense. Like if, uh, sure. if I'm asking for a thousand dollars a minute of music, um, you know, or I'm giving them a package deal of, you know, 10 grand to score their game or whatever it is. But they're like, oh, well, I can only give you two hundred dollars. And I can't give you yeah. any back end. That's when you're like, okay, well then no, I'm not going to do that because that's sure. a waste of your time, a waste of my time, you know, yeah, that that's kind of thing. grossly underpriced. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. the, the part of it's education too. Cause like a lot of devs don't necessarily know the amount of time and the amount of hmm. effort and, you know, like the expenses that we have to incur just to get a bit of the music out. Um, sure. But yeah. that's, that's, that's a time thing. Like a lot of people don't quite understand that yet. They're like, oh, you should be doing this for free. Like, no, it's not how that works. Um, so I think based on what we've talked about, it's clear that this is a competitive space and, um, like all competitive spaces, it can be challenging for people who are new or who are aspiring composers to break into the space. So, um, given all the advice that you've already shared, which has been tremendous and I really appreciate it. Do you have any advice for people who are like, okay, it's 2018, I'm a, I'm a music, you know, I'm a musician. I think I've got what it takes. Um, how can I break into this space? Um, well, for one, I think the, the concept of breaking in is something that has to be kind of notched down from them, if that makes sense. Uh, because okay. there's no breaking in. Like you don't, don't walk in the door, you don't slam it down and you're like, all right, I'm here. Um, mm. it's one, it's very much a, a long grind. You have to be ready to spend and do your time. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. you can't just like, there's not like a, it, or I can't say there's not, it, it's very rare that somebody will just graduate college, uh, have made zero relationships and then have a career in games. Like it, it's possible, oh, yeah. I'm sure, but you have to do a lot of, you know, work just before that and even after that just kind of making again making relationships and talking to people and just understanding how that works and i i I would say i've been in the industry for about five years now i'm not even i'm only starting to see the fruit of all that time Hmm. so it's taken about five years for for things to kind of actually happen for me to have built enough relationships and to cultivate those relationships it's a lot like farming you know like you plant some seeds right and then you wait and you wait and you plant more seeds and you keep cutting and trimming and then stuff starts uh, stuff starts to grow and then once that Mm. you know plant is a little bit bigger then you start trimming a little bit more and you add you know like fertilizer you change the fertilizer that you're having and the same thing with uh with uh building relationships in the industry is like you you don't really know 
uh, where to start. You know, you start with some seeds, you hand your business cards out to people, uh, talk to some folks and, you know, you're, you're part of their life suddenly, but you might not start working for them until three or four years down the road, which has happened to me so many times that I can't even, you know, imagine like a lot of the relationships I built that first year are now offering me, you know, gigs that they might need, or they may need a secondary composer or sound designer for their product. Uh, project and so those are things like those are friendships you kind of start with and i I think the best way to look at it is just uh you're not just selling yourself but you're selling or you're you're totally selling yourself so you have to be sincere to who you are uh be sincere about what you want to do and what you want to work on and also uh be very very um just for lack of a better phrase don't be a No, like that's, that's the number one thing. Like that, the yeah. people aren't going to want to work with you if you're just that asshole that nobody really likes. If that makes um, make things makes things clear, but that was Chris Madigan. Uh, that was his only advice. Like literally. Oh really? Yeah, that was that's, that's and, really and it. Work hard, and work hard. Yep. That that was. I, I will echo that completely. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> because, "All like, right, moving on. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's yeah, there's it's a lot so of people. True, I've, yeah, there's a lot of people I've tried to work with that I'm like, oh. I don't know if I want to work with you again or like I've seen how they work with other people. I'm like, well, I shouldn't, you know, I, I know I'm not going to work with you, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's just because the the attitude you have is, is a major uh, either turn on or turn off. It depends on what, what it could be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to chat. I want to end on one question by just asking you, um, what are you listening to lately? What have you been playing lately as far as games go? Mm-hmm. And, and what game soundtracks or, or music otherwise has been inspiring you lately? Shoot. Okay, so what have I been listening to lately? I've actually had Discover. Uh, I, I use Spotify. Um, Discover Weekly? And my Discover Weekly. It is a godsend. I love me some Discover Weekly, dude. I, they they the, know me. The I feel like they read yeah. my mail. <laughs> Um, I know, right? They like they're basically like the Google, like they know everything about me. It's Spotify. Uh, they they got crazy. my taste down to to you know to, down to the the eighth note. But like, <laughs> nice. I, I, I I will use <laughs> I'll use Discover Weekly quite a bit, and I'll get some electronic music. I'm listening to a lot of um, I've actually been listening to a lot of um, EDM stuff, mostly by you know some contemporary friends that I have, like James Landino. Oh, uh, I love his stuff. I had him on oh, the he's show. Amazing. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had him. I, I first heard about this guy when we hired him for a DJ thing for an E3 event that we were throwing, and I've like fallen in love with this stuff since then. It's all great, and it's all like up my alley in terms of EDM. Uh, as far as orchestral stuff, like I, I like listening to uh, the Wow soundtrack still, uh, Overwatch stuff. Like basically anything that's got like that epic Blizzardy feel, I'm a fan of. I, I can't, you know. I can definitely not go without saying that I'm listening to any League of Legends music because like League of Legends music was my jam, still is my jam. Um, was super passionate about that. That's what made me start the Summoners Orchestra. Um, and let's see what else. Random, random movie film things here and there. Like I try to listen to some classical every once in a while just to kind of get my ear back into that because that's where it all came from anyway. Sure, um, sure, yeah. What else? Yeah, that's pretty much it in the, for the most part. Cool, man. Well, that's awesome. I love Discover Weekly. I feel like yes. whenever it refreshes, I'm always like, oh, what have you got for me this week? You know, and it's always so interesting and it's dynamic because I listen to a lot of different types of music. And so mm-hmm. it might actually be like a folk song. And then right <laughs> yeah, after right. that, uh, a, a an electronic cover of an orchestral video game song. 
I'm yep, like, all it's, right, it's you always know. the best. Yep, they, yeah. they, they have it on point. Like, oh, it's like a film soundtrack. Oh, it's like this random folk song. Oh, hey, look, another video game soundtrack. Oh, this is some yeah, cool electronic just... music. It's always great. Oh, and technically, it's a write-off too, like because <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know for work, like, it's research, right? Yep. Benefit of uh benefit of of doing this for a living and and i guess uh incorporating yourself we could probably talk all about the legal implications oh, of geez. that which is another black box maybe we'll save that for another another chat yeah. but dude i really go. appreciate you chatting with me i i think there have been so many little pieces of practical wisdom both in the composing process and in the process of getting gigs that i know yeah. i that I've learned from, and I know that people listening will as well. So if people want to learn more about you, people listening want to hear your stuff, uh, reach out to you, maybe learn more about you, where should they go? Uh, well, basically I've got one page on my website now. That's kind of my one go-to all for all things. Cause I stopped using everything, but they can go to my website, uh, lagoombymusic.com and, or they could also just shoot me an email. It's, uh, eman.lagumbai it's e-m-m-a-n.lagumbai at gmail.com like if they want to talk or hear more about stuff like i'm more than happy to chat well thanks so much man i really appreciate you taking the time out to chat and i uh, hope you have a great rest of your afternoon of course thanks to you and thanks for having me man. if you enjoy these interviews and want to support the podcast honestly the best way to do that is just to share this episode with a friend now if you want to be a real mensch you can rate the podcast on itunes which really helps goes a long way for visibility if you're listening on the apple podcast app just scroll down and tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves follow me on twitter at matt kenyon music and let me know what you think of the show until then you've been listening to composer code the podcast dedicated to helping you dear listener succeed as a video game composer take care <laughs>